Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 180-something, and I'm here in the back house with my favorite people's Kristen Bell. <laughs> it's plural now. Yes. That's how you, you loom that large in my psyche, that you are your people's. <laughs> I'm already laughing. Um, by the way, San Francisco, San Francisco, wait, San Francisco, Sacramento, and, and Santa Cruz. And Santa Cruz. I'm coming your way this week for the Holy Shift Tour. Uh, Pete Rollins is opening. He and I are having so much fun. And there are still some tickets for San Francisco and I believe Santa Cruz. Um, and Sacramento, I haven't been your way since 2006. So it's been 12 years. It's going to be good. And Santa Cruz, I've never done a tour stop in Santa Cruz. So... Uh, man, this week, I am so looking forward to that. But this episode right now is about some other things. And yes. actually, you said some things that got us like, oh, that's an episode. Right. So. We were actually riding in the car last night, talking, <laughs> right. talking about the film, The Heretic, that uh, Andrew yes. Morgan mm -hmm. made. Um, and I said, I said to you... You know what? There's a couple spots in the film where I kind of wished that there was more. Like mm -hmm. I had, like what you said sparked questions for me. Like I would love to hear you talk more about this. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the whole premise of this is amazing to me. <laughs> is it? Well, I think what's interesting about a film, uh, a documentary, is that somebody follows you around for. Years. Well, but but also just certain parts of your life. Yeah. It's not like they're it's not like a reality TV show where they're constantly There's no there. washing dishes. No. <laughs> or grocery store. No, and which he, feels like what a big chunk of life actually is. Right. So so he chose to mostly follow you around when you were doing your work with the intention. I think what he was most passionate about is talking about or showing your ideas how they have evolved, mm. what the, what what that has, you know, the cause, mm -hmm. the effect. Um, but what's interesting about that is it's just, you can only do a little sliver. Yeah. Like you can only show a very small part and um, a filmmaker also has a particular lens that they're telling the story through. Yeah, and a, and a great filmmaker has a point of view. Right. Like, that's one of the things that is so uh, moving to me about Andrew is he's so intelligent and so hungry and curious, but, like, has a point of view, right. which is and what I also, makes something interesting. I loved hearing him talk after the premiere when you guys were doing um, your Q&A. Whatever that I, was. I don't know, conversation. I was a wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you trying to compose yourself and Andrew... Um, it was just nice to hear Andrew share a little bit about where he was coming from when he made the film and yeah. share that it was actually very personal to him. Right. Like he was coming at this with, I have questions. Yeah. And Rob seems to have a joy and a lightness about all of this that I need. He was talking about how he's done a lot of yeah, work yeah, that's right. that's with right. environmental issues and that had left him kind of discouraged about the state of humanity and the state of our world. Right. 
and what he found in you and your work was something hopeful. Yeah. And so in that way, um, he expressed that this, this was personal for him. Yeah. Which gives it great meaning. It's like the whole thing is undergirded by a heart. Right. A heart heart. and a curiosity. Like way beyond me, the filmmaker's heart is sort of carrying it along. And the thing that amazes me about documentaries, like watching this process over the last two years, is how in the world you sift through all those hours of film and pick things that weave together. Right. So there's also a great intelligence behind this and... Some sort of ability to pick what's essential. Yeah. <clears throat> Otherwise, it's just so much stuff. By the way, I want. I want um, it was obviously sort of a surreal, overwhelming experience to sit there, but the because um, it's been like I guess a week now. The the thing that comes back to me more than almost anything is that our kids went in with us. They went right to the concession. Counter bought food. Well, do you know that Preston came out and asked me? He's like, if I buy the family, like if I buy my siblings (laughs) concessions, will you pay me back? (laughs) Like that's that. That's what made me laugh. Is what I took my seat, whatever the fourth row. It was you and the kids, and the kids are like loaded up, right? Like passing around candy. Might as well make it fun. And just. Sitting there about to watch this movie, <laughs> like it's there, they look like it's just like, yeah, this is Saturday night. What's the problem? Get with yeah, it. I see what you're saying. It's just funny how there are these m- moments in your life that are you'll probably remember for a long time. You know, these signature moments, but you rarely remember the bigness, it's the odd small details, right? I would of, say that sort of imprint themselves on right, your there's psyche. Like a, there's like a memory snapshot that happens. Right, right. And there was a memory snapshot when I looked down the row and saw the three of them yeah. sitting there waiting for it to Isn't start. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That, that, what was the experience like? It was like my family and I having another adventure, which is how it's always felt. <laughs> this one was just a little different than others. Okay, so you had some some right. Uh, so you ready to jump you in? You had some interest. You had some interesting things you wanted to talk about, which I found like yeah. Well, let's do that. Yeah, and I I actually have three different parts of the film that I would like to ask you about. And the first one is kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool, and then the second two are a little more. Where else do you jump in? By the way, I, I love to jump in in the deep I end. Didn't. Are you aware there's a shallow end as a person? I didn't. <laughs> Well, I'm just going to say the other two are a little bit more personal. Okay. So the first one is towards the end of the film when you're talking about how um, you're talking about religion and you talk about how religion has failed. If you just look at the numbers, like Mm. how many people are engaging in religion, which you... I mean, please give me more on this, but you seem to define as humanity's search. Oh, oh, oh. So, so, I, so you talk about how religion has failed, but in that, 
you also talk about how religion has played this really important role in our history. Yeah. As a as a way of trying to make meaning and and give language yeah. and like like it has served a great purpose but we seem to be at a point where there's something about it that is limiting and not working. So I'd love to hear you talk more about that. Oh, uh, yeah, and I can totally see how that that um needs all sorts of clarification. That was actually interesting to me in the film how many things I would hear myself say and be like, "Oh, well there's actually a part before that." Then a part after that, and I don't want that to be taken out of context. But you, you other, but everything is essentially a risk that you'll be. So I would say human beings have been asking the the big questions about ultimate reality for thousands of years. What kind of universe is this? What kind of world are we living in? So even when people talk about God, or when people say that they they don't use the word God, you do have a sense of issues of ultimate concern. You know, what's the thing behind the thing behind the thing? What is the ground of our being? Um, is it violence? Is it love? What? And human, we're like meaning factories. We have to wrestle with these Right. Things. I love what you say, and everything is spiritual too, when you say, we're all telling stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that the story that you're telling deeply, deeply shapes you, your life, how you interact with others and the world that you're helping to create. So if, if, it's, if it's all put in motion by an angry divine being who's going to blast people with fire, well, then it's much easier to justify war. If the story is about scarcity and how there's only a limited amount of slices of the pie, then you're going to have a problem when others receive abundance and blessing because your story tells you then you must be receiving less. Like, so when people say like they're not religious, everybody is religious at some level. Everybody is living according to some story. They've duct taped together right. some narrative to make sense of things. Right. And you actually say that in the film. Oh, which, I do? Okay. <laughs> well, something along those lines, you, you, you put it very well that, um, when people say they're not religious or they're not spiritual, we all are because Absolutely. we're wired for meaning. You can't help it. You can't help it. So then, so we're all having this discussion. And that's why I think the idea of religion over in the corner or spirit, I'm just not into spirituality. Yes, you are. You, you find this all terribly meaningful because all of us are engaged in what's the point? What am I doing here? Where is this headed? Then I would say, secondly, these ways of thinking, these institutions, these paths have obviously emerged over thousands of years all across the planet, all across people groups to make sense of this and then to give rituals, rites, prayers, teachings, give and I think order language is and a coherence, huge one. Lang- naming. Does how do you how yeah. do you yeah, how do you name right something that's beyond <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and a lot of philosophers talk about how theology is their naming systems. We're trying to name reality, and some naming systems are better than others. Some are more adaptive than others. Some, like when somebody, that gift, when somebody can put in language what you've been feeling or aching for or longing for or what's been driving you crazy, if somebody can give you the gift of naming it, it's like, oh, thank you. Um, 
or can tell a story to give it shape and form. Yes. Give you some something that's like fits the longing that's deep in your heart. So for many, many, many people, these giant ways simply haven't kept up with what's happened in the modern world. I mean, you just take science alone. For many people, what they understood to be faith or a path seemed to be opposed. And then that doesn't work because at that point, then the path is opposed to truth coming through a different voice. And, and you know instinctively that whatever the explanation is, it has to include all truth. So uh, for others, what they were taught is faith was actually a way to draw, to build walls between people, to draw distinctions and boundaries between people when you intuitively know that if it's good and true and it's the path that leads to life, it will be, it will highlight what we have in common, our shared humanity. So I think in many ways, they just instinctively, people were handed systems that simply didn't lead them into the deepest, fullest, most vital life. And you just have to be honest about that. But the idea for people like, well, then we should just toss the whole thing out. Uh, and that's like the great crisis of the modern world is so many people tossed, they tossed uh, a faith system, they tossed a path, they, they tossed the, that cultivating that dimension of life and it leaves you empty and hollow without resources to deal with death, loss, a Addiction, well, joy. I, I actually was very moved by that part in the film. It's, it's very brief, but you you mention. I mean, you're you're putting all of this together, and you're like, "This is why we don't give up on the path." Absolutely, because this path it serves a it serves a great purpose. But what I was hearing you saying, and what I think the film is saying, is that it, it needs to evolve. Absolutely. It has to be adaptive. And that's, you can almost see it when it clicks for people. Because like, why don't, like waiting around, I can't believe that that thing doesn't, or what makes me mental is like when people ask questions like, what do you think about, you know, oh, the people say like, what do you think about the church? What do you, the Syrian Coptic church? Latin American Pentecostals? East Coast Episcopal, like what do you, it's just this big, vague, amorphous hairball um, when people say things like that. And often built into it is a passivity of why doesn't, why isn't that thing better? Or why don't those people get it? Or some sort of condescending language instead of we get to create new kinds of communities we get to explore new expressions. And it will always involve an integration of the ancient and the old. Like, I'm still doing sermons from the Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what I think is very interesting about... It will always be ancient and future at the same time. Always. But I think that's what's interesting and somewhat unique about what you're doing is that you're very honest about where the, the system is too restrictive and um, not helpful and maybe even damaging, but you don't give up on it. Like you, you just came out with a book about the Bible. <laughs> like you don't give up on it. When it's you so, do shows so weird. Yeah. with Pete Holmes and, and he does his comedic spirituality thing, you, 
we've talked about how you are the bass note. Like you keep coming back to like, like scripture, like stories that have been <laughs> right. around for thousands right. of years that have right. really helped people understand the divine, what it means to be human. It's even funny on the new t- on the tour right now. There's a whole section in it on Job, Isaiah, Joshua. Right. It's so funny. Right. So and weird. so you're you're actually taking the <laughs> oldest stories in the Bible. Right. 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 Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask about that too. It it feels like it feels like you're very forward thinking. And yet you also keep returning to the past. Well, it's interesting you think about the the arrogance of the modern world that nobody before us could help us. Because in literature, you we study the classics. Like think in poetry. Right. Like you think about how many areas design um you think about how many areas where it's always been the accumulation and you're staying on the shoulders. And I'm, it's so interesting how many people in the modern world aren't aware of the very questions they're asking or the struggles they're facing. There well, is a I, rich resource of help for this. I think what happens, and I'm talking from personal experience, is that you can feel very let down and kind of betrayed by this, um, this kind of rigid system of truth that you were handed. And then you start to realize, Oh wow. Not only is a lot of this not true, it's damaging. Yeah. And so, so my impulse is to just be like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm done with all of that. I'm out of here. I'm moving on. Right. Right. But, it, it it does i think that's why that part of the film struck me so much is is when you do throw the whole thing out um you really miss out on a lot pete talks about you you threw everything it has that pete holmes has that great line in the film about we threw it all out but we still had the ache Right. He also gives the metaphor of it being like a, a living room with furniture. Like you get rid of all the old furniture, including the ottoman of whatever that was, but it made me laugh. Um, I know. <laughs> um, but, then, but then little by little, you start putting new furniture back in. And what's interesting when you put the new furniture back in, a lot of times it has connection sure. to the roots. Yeah. And um, I love... I love the work that John Philip Newell is doing with going way back to um, Celtic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like second century, third century. And finding this like rich stuff oh. about the d- divine feminine and right. connection to the earth. And it's like, this this is our Christian heritage. <laughs> like, right. like you can claim the good stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's so interesting to me how many people have been burned. And so they're like, I'm out of here. But they were never exposed to all of the intelligence and insight. They're not aware that the, which I totally get, like, you got to walk away, set the thing on fire, get out of the barn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, go. I totally get it. But the thing you're walking away from, said that it was the center, but it wasn't. 
There actually is a Which long, is why deep, wide history. I, I think this is why we need people like you. And I know that there are a lot of other pastors out there. That we should do these episodes more often. That you interact You're with. <laughs> no, I'm on a roll. Don't interrupt me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I think it's important. There's a lot of a lot of pastors out there that you interact with who I think get really discouraged about the work that they're doing. But this is such important work to like be the scholars and the teachers and the finders of that gold that's back there Ah, and bring it forward and help us like reclaim all the good stuff that's in there as well as help the whole thing evolve forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that Largo show recently with John Philip Newell where he was talking about, he did that thing on Pelagius and fourth century empire and how the doctrine of original sin originated at a time when empire was essentially hijacking the Jesus movement and it's much easier to control the masses if they believe they're deeply depraved. Right. And but if the if people believe good resides within the masses, they're much harder to politically control. And all of a sudden he's talking about fourth century. And you're like, these are the issues here and now. It's like all you have to do is just tell the story well and everybody can already connect it. It's just instantly now. Yeah, this is the great, this is the beauty of the bass note. Yeah. Yeah, so especially to people who, to people who have some sense like they used to cling to something, but they can't cling to it anymore. Or they used to trust that ground because the old world had its, had a firm floor and it had reference points and it had rules and here's what you cling to. A woman asked this in uh, San Antonio last week. She said, I, none of that stuff, I can't cling to any of that anymore. So what do I cling to now? Wow. Yeah. And what did you say? I said, I totally get your question, but maybe part of the problem is in the question. Maybe clinging, maybe the new thing isn't, you used to cling to this, now I cling to this. Maybe it's you used to cling to this, now you dance with that. Right, I know the Buddhists say that attachments are what cause suffering. So right. clinging. Right, 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 right. It's inevitable if you cling to something, you're, you're going to get to a point where you're not going to be able to cling to it anymore. And so yeah. it's going to cause suffering. Yeah. So yeah, so what can you dance with? What can you right. like, there is like an importance to a, a grounding and things that have you rooted. And that's maybe what she was saying is yeah. that, I feel like I don't have an anchor. Like, what's yeah, my yeah. anchor point? And then you start thinking about different metaphors like the feast or the table and grounding everything in, well, what does, what does a proper banquet look like? Um, Which actually goes back to the, the concept of balance. Like, it feels like we need, like, new and expansive and experimental and then on the other side, we need like anchoring and grounding mm-hmm. and, and, um, and that can come in all sorts of forms. I mean, it can come in the grounding of a marriage. It can come in, in, um, 
in in a community. It can come in a, a practice or a ritual. Yeah. Um, serving right. somewhere, serving somebody, showing up acts to of, give regular some acts of act kindness of, of generosity yeah. on a regular basis. That just is like oh. Whatever's happening in the world, I'm going to go do this. And somehow... You're right. That's very that's grounding. how I keep... I even feel that sometimes, even thinking about tour. Oh, I have this thing I want to tell people. Well, we'll go to the next city and we'll tell them. That even grounds me in some deep way. Like I have this gift I want to give and I get to go to a new place and give it to these people. And that like even... Just you doing your work and and thinking about it in in new and more sacred ways, right? And I think when you can move your thinking from religion and spirituality only happen in a church, in the Bible, <laughs> in things that are labeled so official, official, where everybody's to, wearing the right uniform, to <laughs> actually the 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 search for meaning and spirituality happens. In Absolutely. every moment of your life. And, and if you can expand your thinking, then you see that you can find grounding in all sorts of things in your life. Absolutely. It was never to hide out in the temple. It was always to have your eyes open to the fact that the whole thing is a temple. Or like when Ramdas talks about the traditions like a catapult. All of that was only ever to catapult you into the divine presence in all of life. Right. Which... Which, when you, when you begin to see it that way, then what helps me keep my eyes open? Well, then I'll, I'll participate in that because it helps keep my eyes open. It helps me remember. It helps me be aware of the divine presence in all of life. And that's just a completely different discussion. It's just so much more interesting. Um, and now you're talking law and justice and planning a garden and healthcare and art and cooking and kids and... Oh, yeah. Okay. And well, this leads me to one of my you next just ones. The page, which is quite I did turn a page notes. because um, <laughs> I think what you're also talking about right there is is what I have noticed about you, and it's talked about in the film is that you you um, you have a joy about your life. You have a joy in lightness, and I think that some of these practices that you're talking about that you find in the everyday in using using china for breakfast because <laughs> i mean that's one of your big things yeah. putting on a record in the kitchen <laughs> yeah. um and using the fine china because this is the day that you have but the, these are all things that point to the joy that you find in life um and so one of the parts in the film that i thought was I don't, I don't know, interesting, but in a different type of interesting is, is that part at the end when it's very late, you're in the back of a car, um, you're driving through New York City, and you look really tired. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a How to Be Here tour. You were in New York then. Right. Yeah, okay. I remember, I remember that part. Yeah, I was there, but I think I was back in the hotel room with the kids. Because that tour was talk on a Saturday for seven hours. Right. And then I would hug everybody when it was over. Right. So that's like and then seven hours wanted... of talking and then an hour or two of hugging people. Right. And then Andrew wanted to drive around and ask you questions. And I, I think I it was, was a... like 11 or midnight. It was really late. Which I thought was a 
I remember at the time thinking, that's kind of a brilliant filmmaking move because I'm going to be maybe a little hoarse. I'm going to be like good ti- tired, but good tired, but tired. Right. And I well, remember him saying like, I want to interview you when you're at the end of, when you've worked all day. Yes, but the reason why I want to talk about it is because I think it would be easy to see that and and get get the idea that you are kind of grinding it out on this tour. Oh, yeah, no you're way. You're alone in the back of the car. You're kind of this... This is what I do for the cause, that sort of thing of that like people do? Kind of like this man is an island. <laughs> He's like... <laughs> He's like just giving it all. He's he cares so much about what he's doing. I don't know. Maybe it's like some of my past oh, stuff that I'm projecting. Oh, onto sure, it. sure, sure. No, but that... I just didn't find that a very accurate view of who you are. Um, oh, because yeah, right, yes, right. It, there is a cost to it. Um, but but you you come at everything from a place of joy and Absolutely. not a place of grind. That's why I talk, I talk about good tired. So I would love to hear a little bit more about, um, because it, this does t- take work. This does take like dedication. And there are times when you are getting up in front of a crowd of people. And I think to myself, Oh my word, this is the last thing I would ever want to do. I don't know how he does this. Like the nerves, the pressure, the like, <laughs> The risk of oh, failure. I totally don't see it that way, but come on. I know you don't. This is this is how yeah. I would see it. I'm just so. But what I want to ask you is, to do this stuff, what fuels you? All oh, right. Well, you know, one of my first mentors had this, like, well, I'm, I'm called, so I'm. I just sort of kill myself for the cause. And you remember that that was that sort of where I was trained, sort of it was this like, it's tough and there's a huge price to pay, but this is what we do. It's almost like it's, it was ego, in many ways, it's like ego. Like look how, basically it's like, look how special I am in declaring how unspecial I am because I just, and I, I sort of had in my early twenties that sort of, you take it. You take it on the chin and you just keep going because you want it more and you're the one who's willing to, which is what you used. And then you start started calling. Remember in our, my late 20s when you started saying to me, it's not a tough guy contest? <laughs> I remember you started, you would just call me out. And it's like, I mean, we've talked, I think we've done a whole episode on burnout. That whole, I just go on to the next city because I've, that just all got called out for me is ridiculous. Right. I know that that, not the that passed. Many years I, ago. But when I meet people who I can tell, and honestly, it takes five seconds. I can tell if somebody's in, still in that gear. It's tough because I can smell the bitterness. Well, you're, you're, you're way more intuitive we and were, aware than I am about that sort of thing. You can pick up all the time. We where, were in a, a religious culture where how much you sacrificed got you points. Got you points. Not just with the people who are watching you, but somehow sacrifice got you points with God. Oh, thank you. It like made you more spiritual. <laughs> right. And I think, I think a big shift is when, when you know, with, when you know with everything you're being that God or ultimate reality is grace. 
then there's no way to earn points. Yeah. So all of a sudden that old system of sacrifice gets you points with God, it falls yeah. apart. I think it happened to you and I together. Is we, that whole thing, we just saw it. And we're like, nope, we don't, we don't see it that way. Right. It, I mean, I think it takes a while to get out of your system. Yeah. Because it's so ingrained. And especially when you're younger and, and you are asking, like, am I any good? Am I, I mean, just basic questions of youth, like, do I have what it takes? Do I? Oh, right. That's, like all, a, that's a whole nother right, right, right. issue. So, like, so, am so, I good uh, enough? Am I worthy as enough? As those sort of, as those questions stop being interesting, um, I love it that you want to talk about this because uh, I, so like you think about NGOs, humanitarian world, the nonprofit world, the charity world, how many people you and I have interacted with uh, who are working for justice and change and equity and who are killing themselves for some great cause, but are also so bitter. The engine is not joy. Right. Um, and you even think about those cultures. I mean, the, the, when you and I first started out, it was announcing gospel, which is, you've always been in, you've always been a child of the divine. There's nothing to earn. It, it announced something, but then what it lived was, hey, you get extra points. Gone from your family, extra points. Right. Living cheap, and by cheap, I mean, I don't mean careful and disciplined or even frugal. I mean cheap. I mean anything good you deny yourself. Right. Because somehow that earns you. Look what I gave up. So-and-so used to have a high-paying job, and then they left it all, and everybody cheers. Right. Um, it says... So, so you and I saw the duplicity and the hollowness of that because if the engine isn't joy, you can't go the distance. It's not sustainable. Yeah. You're one more bitter, hollowed out person who's like, well, I do it because it helps people, but you're a wreck, so it's not helping everybody. I remember this happened to you and I when we began to realize if it's not working for you, then it's not working for whoever you're trying to serve. That everything is a symbiotic flow. Do you know what I mean? You and I would meet with somebody who was like, they're just a wreck and their family was barely hanging on and their marriage was in tatters and it was all like, well, we all just give it up for the cause. And we'd be like, yeah. there's no way this is putting good energy and love into the system, into your community, into your tribe, whatever. If you're secretly this bitter. Well, and I remember one specific time when I, we made some moves to get more involved in some things and, and it was all taking too much of a toll and I got depressed. Yeah. And I remember having this like light bulb. Oh, if I'm depressed, I'm not helping anybody. Like, like it's got, it has to start with me. Like I have to be in a place where I have joy and energy and yeah. and want to move out and get involved. And if I'm overloading myself with solving problems and and trying to relieve other people's suffering, um, 
I'm not any, I'm not any good for anybody. Right. I love that he said overloaded. It's it isn't sustainable. It isn't. It's this just take it all on till it kills you. Yeah, and I I love that you brought that up. Yeah, if anybody saw that film, was like, wow, he must be gone all the time. No, we're here at the house. We're gonna watch the Oscars tonight. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, we're pretty much no. It ha- it's like this is life um, here with y- with you all. If anybody picked that up, I'd be like, no, that's not how it is. And it was also funny to me uh, in the film, the Bible Belt tour. When I tell the crowd, I'm so glad that Andrew included, or I tell the crowd, like, going through the Bible Belt in the middle of July was my idea of a good time. That's because it actually is. Like, all of it starts with what would be interesting, what would be... No, I remember when you (laughs) got the idea. (laughs) When you're like, wouldn't that be funny if... Oh, it did a Bible Belt tour and talked about the Bible. Like, that's the dumbest... That is the, no, the dumbest I, thing to think is funny, but it was, I couldn't stop laughing. But that's who you are. Like, that's what <laughs> fuels you. Like, you get an idea that you think is funny. Oh, absolutely. And you absolutely. don't even really care if anyone else gets it. You're like, I think this is funny. Yeah. And my daughter wants to see Graceland. Oh, absolutely. When she was, <laughs> so, when she was studying Elvis, and I was like, hey, do you want to go when you're off school in the summer? Do you want to go to Graceland? She's like, yeah. And I was like, well, let's go do a... How about I do a tour and you come with me and then we'll end it at Graceland. But, um, Pete Holmes and I always talk about, we're not trying to get you to laugh or trying to get you to have a transcendent experience. We're laughing and having a transcendent experience and you're welcome to join us. Yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> that is such like everybody I've ever interacted with who's trying to make something or create something or do something meaningful. I'm always like, you have whatever the thing is you're trying to give everybody else. Create it so that you're in that place. And we're people are smart. We can figure it out. We know when somebody's drinking from the well. You know what I mean? We can sort that out. So I've heard you say that joy is the engine of the universe. Absolutely. So if if joy's the engine of the universe and you make your engine joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and people often like, yeah, but it is hard. What about all the sacrifice and what about all the difficulty? Yeah, yeah, of course. But of course. That that's like I don't even yeah, that's just a given that that will be difficult. You know what I mean? Like life nobody's fuzzy on life being difficult, but you're running it through a completely different lens. And when you're in flow, when you're on your path and joy is the engine, then you're, you actually now have, you're coming from the kind of place where you can actually handle the difficulties that would inevitably come. Now you actually have a shot at surmounting them and keep going. Otherwise, it just calls the whole thing into question all over again. And it just never, you have a, the first difficulty, it's like, why am I even doing this? As opposed to, well, of course it was going to be difficult. Why wouldn't it be? We're making a new world here. Right. So I, I also heard you say in the interview after the film that you're still coming to terms with the title of the film being Heretic. <laughs> because that's not how you see yourself. Ah, oh, right, right, um, right. But I'm actually wondering if, in a sense, Heretic is like a ha-ha, wink-wink. Like, it's just like a, you know what, this is all... This is all silly. 
<laughs> you are awesome. Heretic. Like to me, yeah, when, right. when people first started calling you a heretic, I remember being like speechless. Right. Like heretic. Right. Like, do you know what you're saying? We were absurd. We thought it was absurd. And we also were pissed. Like you don't get to, but it's kind of a ridiculous, ridiculous. word. It's, it's such a. Yeah, right, it's like right, a right. really right. Um, old fat, not old fashioned, like but first like graders. ancient. It's like first graders. It's like my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and nobody ever defines it. Like, what is? Y'all okay there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just checking to make sure we're still recording. Okay. Because you're on a roll, and I want to make sure. (laughs) But nobody ever defines heretic. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) Right, 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 right. I think heretic, I think the official definition of heretic is not like us. (laughs) It's almost like, it could be like a, um, like a superhero villain. Oh, you know, you know, you know. It's so like over the top. You know what it is, though? I get to make these things, and... I have some moments, some experience, some insights, some, some learning something as a student, and I, in I have this like, oh, I want everybody to see this, so they can have, not even the, the experience I had, just because they might have some, they may see what I saw, or or I'm assuming they'll see way beyond what I saw. I even say that often on a podcast, like, okay, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna bring some stuff your way here. And this has done some things to me, but I'm sure it'll, whatever it'll do to you, that's fantastic. Like, let's open the thing up, not close it down. Um, so, the, the, well, going back to the word you've been using, joy, the, the honor, the privilege, the joy that I can't believe I get to do this work. And then uh, for people responding to the work is like grace stacked on grace. So the idea that this, that the discussion would be people who apparently, people who have a problem with it, it's like, no, you don't get, you don't get to ruin our party. You know what I mean? And even seeing how media works over the past, whatever decade, um, somebody just hopefully humbly going about their work isn't a headline. You know what I mean? (laughs) What's a headline is somebody way over in the corner uh, with a bullhorn shouting over top of the music at the party. That's what gets the headline. Controversy is what gets people on TV. And I'm so totally, I have zero room for that nonsense. Even in our culture, plane crashes. Like you think about what gets news. It's controversy, it's ridiculous tweets. It's a culture that, that f- feasts on toxicity, division. What did you mean by plane crashes? I just... Well, you think about like the news, like there was a plane crash today, in, which is obviously a loss of life. It could, could be horrific, but nevertheless, you never have a headline like, a single mom this week made rent. <laughs> right, right. Which, which involves an element of heroic... Or going back to the humanitarian causes, like... Right. Um, this week, some unheralded workers in such and such country... Brought relief to this right. many people and saved this many lives. Yeah. And so I think for me, just week, week in and week out, trying to plow my field 
and do good work month after month, year after year to make things that might bring people some life. And then it's like, I feel like I've been trying to set a table so people can feast. But then the fact that this person over here could use that word or say that, and then that's what gets well, and the attention. I, I that's part of that probably that's my that's my that's thing. Been I'm sort so of ranting, but that's essential in in your work and what you do is you don't give those people attention because they don't less. deserve the attention. <laughs> it's just right. So the fact that people would and talk about this, it brings you or, down. It's like there's no upside to giving that attention. Just, yeah, and this is why it's so important when when people talk about. Whenever people ask about pushback or what people, you know, I might get, I always just, you have to know who you are and what you're here to do. It's the only way to be able to sift and sort the blowback or the criticism, whatever you get, is, oh, that has nothing to do with what I'm, who I am and who I'm, what I'm here to do. You have to be so centered in on what you're here to do. Otherwise, you're thrown all over the place, which is why I think sometimes for people, criticism completely throws them for a loop is... They don't know who they are and what they're doing here. Well, or or momentarily they forget and yeah. they give their attention. Yeah. They just move their, their attention to yeah. the criticism instead of their attention to, okay, where am I going? What am I doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which leads me to the last <laughs> one that I want to talk about. <laughs> There's a um, there's an emotional moment in the film that a lot of people um, have said that they really... Um, was meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the part where you are, you're talking about, there was a period of time shortly after love wins came out when you did a tour and there was a huge shift in the number of people (laughs) that were coming out like theaters that used thousand person theaters that used to be filled you said now had 63 tickets tonight. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was devastating to you um, because you thought, and, and in the film you said you thought that it might be over and that you and I had had this joke about, well, you could always sell shoes because <laughs> yes. you, you, you love shoes. Oh, and like and shoes. honestly, like selling shoes is a joke because you would joyfully sell shoes. <laughs> You love shoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you would like talk to me like you seriously, you would have a great life selling shoes. I know it because of just who you are. But that, would that be doesn't fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> that doesn't take away from the fact that <laughs> that you had this moment where you thought you lost this thing that you wanted. So I wanted you to talk a little bit more about desire and cost. Because I think what you were getting at there is that you had this growth and desire that you pursued and it cost you something. And that doesn't mean that you were um, a victim of fate. Oh, what a great point. You were, this was a choice that you were making. Absolutely. And so even in that cost, there was an undercurrent of joy because it was your choice. Absolutely. Never victim. You and I have talked about this a thousand times. Never victims. You're ne- as soon as well, all those people, you're give- when, when you blame, when you blame it on somebody, whatever it is, 
When you blame it on somebody else, you're giving them so much power. But I even mean blaming it on like fate or this is how life went or I can't believe what's happened to me. I used to be a big deal. <laughs> this all sounds ridiculous. Um, yeah. You have to go where the life is because it's because that's just how it works. And all of the like, yeah, but this might happen or that might happen. Yeah, it might. But you would be more alive if you follow your path wherever it's taking you. You will be more alive. And at the end of the day, you can't, literally when Jesus says you can gain the world and lose your soul, um, it, you have to keep gaining your soul. And you have to tilt the whole game in that direction. And people and... I mean, you and I know this, like people and attention and it'll come, that stuff just comes and goes. Yeah, but, you're but right. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what was the desire oh, yeah, and, what, yeah, yeah. and what was the cost because that was painful. I knew, well, well you, you and I knew there was a whole world of people who were spiritually hungry. They were hungry for bass notes. They were hungry for depth. But they couldn't stomach the current packages the way that it often gets delivered. And we just had, I mean, how would you say it? We had some sense like we need to keep going and we need to continue to do what we're doing, but to do it in new spaces for people who would never set foot in the traditional spaces. Right. Um, and I remember you and I saying, oh, I remember that one promoter saying, you know, we used to put tickets up for you and like vans of youth groups would come and now they don't. Um, right, based on watching the Numas. And a, friend of my, and a friend of mine had said, you know, no one ever like switches audiences. It just doesn't happen. People don't like lose an audience. And then gain a new one. And then it's like, <laughs> on the other like, side. They're like, that, that just does... There just aren't examples of that. But it's interesting how even beloved friends that we trust who are very wise who would say things like that, you and I just didn't listen. We were like, okay, we would rather go down in flames under the assumption that there is a world of people who are hungry for this. But I think that's why the selling shoes thing was comforting because... Absolutely. I don't think we knew that there would be an audience on the other side. I think we hoped that you there would be. Like this. But I think what we what we did know is that even if our life completely changed and right. you were selling shoes, we were going to be happy. Absolutely. That is such a... Right. And I think about how you and I, from the beginning with, with the kids, because they were born into a life where we were like leaders of a church. I remember you and I being very conscious of it's important that they pick up early on that we chose this. This isn't like, well, you're not going to have as many Christmas presents as your friends, but it's because we're doing this for the Lord. You know what I mean? Remember how you and I from the beginning were like, there will be no, none of that sort of, I don't even know what you call it, that like sort of denial that's not rooted in joy. It's once again, it's that underbelly of bitterness. You and I were like, no, we choose this. We chose this life. We choose this work because we can't imagine anything doing anything else. We love it. And then it, 
when this chapter ends, then we'll start a new chapter and we'll throw ourselves into that. That was like a thing you and I, right. that? we would yeah. talk about that often. Like we don't ever want our kids to pick up a passive, well, I guess this is just how it goes. No, we chose this. Our eyes were wide open. We can at any moment walk away. Right, right. If this becomes demeaning, degrading, if this... Well, I think we also wanted to keep the lines of communication open with them. Like, if this life becomes painful for you... Oh, right. Like, we want to know because we can change it. Yeah, then we'll just go do something else. We never want you to be resentful of... I mean, ultimately... God, <laughs> right? Or whatever teaching, you would blame it on. Yeah, whatever word you use for the very nature of the universe. What kind of world is this? And yeah, that's I'm so wow. You have some good stuff in your notes there. I'm so glad you brought that up because you once you realize that if this thing, whatever it is, falls apart, I guess then we'd have to just make a new one. Now you're actually free. And so many people, the dominant energies are protecting and preserving this because if this went away, I don't know what we do. What you do is you'd have this, it'd be painful, and then there'd be this explosion of imagination and creativity as you had to cook up a new thing, which is why so often suffering has built in it these latent seeds of creativity. It's because you lost something so you had to make up a new tomorrow because the tomorrow you were playing on is gone. And it's bloody and it's awful. And yet later you realize, I never would have cooked up this new thing, which is so much better. Um, yeah, you're right. You and I just had this, well, then we'd figure it out. Right. <laughs> well, then we'd do something else. But at the same time, and what you see in the film is is you you see like the emotion coming up years later talking about it. Like yeah. there was a real, yeah, there was a, a loss. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a what cost. The, right. Like there was something that you had to let go of in order to find the new thing. And yeah. often there's like this, um, what Richard Rohr calls liminal space, which is like that middle ground where you've let go of the old yeah, and you don't yet have what's new, what's coming. And you just have to sit in that really <sighs> uncomfortable spot of, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what this is going to look like. I just know that it's the next right step. <laughs> yeah. That is so true. And that's probably why the, in the movie, like, like those that is such a tender thing for me is there was like a death of the current regime of the, of life as it was. It was like, apparently this chapter is over. Was <laughs> there I any am, sense that there was a death of an identity? Yeah. Yeah. Might've been where you're well, going. We don't need roads. I mean, like, like, uh, like, uh, Or even, thi- or even having floating, things defined. I yeah, mean, yeah, that floating before abyss. you left, things were very defined. This is the church. I mean, yeah, there was no, always right. like movement right, within right. that. No, but but yeah, I think the the there's a man. Oh man, 
Yeah, like we, knowing who you are and what you do and how it works, brings so much comfort and security and stability. And then you willingly choose to go where the life is. There are the, the liminal spaces where you're in between. You left that because you had to, because it was done. It was a season and it was over. But then don't you think you find an identity at a much deeper level? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the people are like, well, I mean, remember when we first moved to California, we go to parties and people would ask me what I do and I would just make up different stuff <laughs> depending on who I was talking to. That's I'd be the like, best. <laughs> I'm really, I'm doing some, some uh, sort of innovative work with surfing right now. <laughs> Which means I suck. That's the innovation. How could a man <laughs> in his early 40s be this bad? Um, you know, one of the things that's fun about LA is a lot of people just make up oh, stuff. Right, right, right. So, yeah, you're right. It was, uh, this thing has to die. And then on the other side, what does giving sermons look like on the other side? I don't know. And there are five of us. I mean, it's like there are real world implications to all this that come into play. Like a lot of people I'll notice when they ask questions, like, yeah, it's nice to like explore, it's like to innovate and try new things, but I, like I have young kids. And, and probably in that scene in the movie, you're feeling the, well, yeah, this is actually your life and there's actually people you're trying to take care of and you're like rolling the dice you know what I mean? Right. Um, that's just me feeling all of those things that all of us feel about. It'd be nice to have it just be an art project, but like kids need to eat. Like there's like a seriousness to it, it that you can't belie or, or denigrate. And like you just sort of feel it all. And then you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably in that, in that scene. But then you chose it too. Like I'd rather be alive. I'd rather, I'd rather have this. Do you remember a process of like weighing the cost? Like desire, co like the, the pull and. You know me, I just, denial is my drug of choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, you know what? I probably don't. I probably, I mean, it's, maybe it's temperament, but maybe it's also like whatever whatever I'm here to do, if I wait at all, I'd probably, you know, I actually <laughs> probably think, wouldn't I actually think you much. have a very strong, <laughs> I do think you have a strong joy meter, <laughs> you, um, which is great. And then sometimes I think you follow it and then you're like, Hey, wait a second. There's also a little pain here that I need mm, to deal with. And later I pick up. Yeah. Then later. Uh, and other people would see it like you. You are so much yeah, more. Yeah, I'm a little the uh, well. I'm a little the opposite. I like. I try to think it all through. Like what, is, what is this actually going to require? You're going to do how many overnight flights? <laughs> you're going to feel how how good are you going to feel that second day in London? Like you're you're already putting yourself through what it will actually require, and then somehow we but meet like, somewhere. But in like the we talk space. about when Love Wins came out, I had really thought it through. I knew what was coming. None of it was a surprise to me. And that was helpful for me in knowing. Like, almost you always like, do like the territory. I almost was like braced for it. Like yeah. I'm braced for it and it's worth it to me. Like I had already thought it through. 
Whatever comes, it's worth it to me. Like you use maps and you use that voice telling you when to turn where. I do. Yeah. Um, Well, your question though was about, but I think this is really, really, really important. The, you have to see it as choices you made. And even when circumstances outside of your control conspire against you, even in those moments, how you respond is your choice. Um, because you have to keep choosing life. And even when it appears like the whole system is rigged against you finding the joy, how you respond to that dread is all part of it. Right, which doesn't mean that you can't feel things. And that's what you see in the film. Like, you're really feeling it. Yeah, yeah. Years later, telling the story brings up emotion for you. Yeah. And so, it's like you can feel all of it, but then it's your choice where you where you go after that. You know what else, I think, in those tears? Like, even this week, going to San Francisco, Sacramento, San Cruz. I'll walk out and I'm so, I'll, I'll thank them. I'll, I'm, I'll be so grateful for those people showing up. The fact that on the other side now, years later, we're doing our thing. I'm grateful at some, I'm grateful like 20 layers deep. True. And even when I tell the crowd, like I'm so honored and thrilled that you came tonight. Or even the Robcast, when I get to say, like, I'm so glad you're listening. This is what I want to talk about. It's like there's no, when you have it flash, like, oh, my word. Maybe maybe that chapter's over. Um, when you find something on the other side, I'm grateful for it in ways I can't even put into words. Yeah, I and see that. And people being remotely grateful for the work, and I try to convey to them how much that means. I don't even try as much anymore because I don't even know where to start. Um, so I think part of that scene in the film, those tears are when, when you've been through that and then it comes back to you down the road. <laughs> it's like just, it, it just, it's like your heart could burst. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like if you've, you've lost it and it returns, then you're, you're aware of what it is in a way that you never were on the front end, even though you were saying, this is so amazing, I'm so grateful. You, you, go to, you go to depths of gratitude you never thought possible. Right, it's like, it's like new depths and also new levels of freedom. Yeah, yeah, you're right, right, right. Because uh, you realize that you don't need any of it, which then goes back to the, the fuel. Yeah. Like if you exactly. can get to that point where you're just doing it because Yeah. Yeah. It's what's driving you. It's yeah. it's the it's yeah. the fun, it's the it's the joy. It's the wave. Right. That's really well said. That's really, that's actually and that's actually what I want for everybody. Uh That's actually what I want for everybody. I feel like all of what I do is at some level, there's like the sermon behind all the sermons is lighten up and enjoy it. And now you can actually take it seriously. 
Right. Now you might actually move the needle on some human suffering. Now you might actually help some people in trouble. Um, right. They talk about the, uh, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about the ones who have been fully liberated, but they stick around to help liberate others. So they have this lightness. Or there's even this ancient tradition of a silver thread. Some are just held here by a, th a thin silver thread. It's like they've been freed. They're so free, but they stay here. <laughs> I love that idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's uh, like something to admire and aspire to. We stick around to liberate others. That's what your liberation's for. <laughs> so great. That's a I, man, Kristen I think that's Bell. a good place to wrap up. I love up. it when, when you bring a notebook to the back house. I know that film gave us some good things to talk about. <laughs> when, literally, when you, it's funny to me when you said, you know, I'd like to hear more on that. I was like, we live together. <laughs> Is that just funny? Well, hey, I think I, like, I was saying I would like to hear more about it. And I would also like other people to oh, hear yeah, more yeah, about it because yeah. I think it's really important. And I had never kind of backed up that far and looked oh, at. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And looked at it from that altitude. Mm -hmm. By the way, did I say that the film's on iTunes and Amazon? I'm not sure, but now you did. The filmmakers and producers and et cetera would probably great, would greatly appreciate me saying something along those lines so people can watch it at those places. Um, yes, this has been fun. All right. Thank you, Kristen Bell. And grace and peace, everyone. <laughs>